Welcome back to another episode of Right Answers Mostly. A history of women having shit. Fuck. <laughs> Keep it. <laughs> a podcast on what you didn't learn in history class, but wanted to. That's Tess Falomo. Uh, and that's Claire Donald. <laughs> and guys, we have smoked before recording, if you couldn't tell already. Hope everyone's been having a good week. That's right. We have been, we've been selling out of merch. And just to let everyone know, we will be sending you, we didn't just already like get them for you. <laughs> Cause I think there was some confusion of like, if you sent us an order, then yes. like you have that, you still technically do. Cause we've kept you in mind for yes. the sizing, but then we'll send you the link to where you buy it. Mm-hmm. But we just did that to make sure we had enough of everything for y'all. That's right. We always are thinking about you. And if we sell out and you didn't get yours, we can do another round. Exactly. We'll just need 12 more people. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So 12 at a time. 12 at a time. So that's our merch update. <laughs> I was like, why? <laughs> so I guess we're just talking business. No, we're not going to explain why. Not it's the fashion our... industry. It's, that's right. You fashion. won't understand. <laughs> oh, what else? Oh, we have a discount code. Um, where we record is Pirate Studios and we love it. Mm. And they have podcast studios. They have DJ studios and they have DJ classes. Yeah. If you want to become a DJ. That's right. And if you're a musician, they have like musician booths or whatever. And so you can book and get 20% off with the code RAM20, R-A-M-20 at pirate.com. So just saying, leaving that there. I'd highly recommend just to try it out. Even if you want to just go for a day and like, you're not even a singer and you just yeah. want to like see how you sound. Like live out that dream. Yeah. Treat yourself to it. Would you, what song would you sing? <laughs> I feel like I would have to go like early pop. Like I would want to sing a Jessica song to feel like a real pop Ooh, star. And like put your lips like on the mic, like Jessica. <laughs> yeah. Eat the microphone. <laughs> You're living out my dream right now, actually. <laughs> I think I'd want to sing, Are You Strong Enough to Be My Man by Sheryl Crow. Oh my God. Because sometimes I sing that in the car just by myself, like without even music playing, just to see how it sounds. Do you know how much I love that song? There's a version that's live where the chicks come out and sing with her. And that song is like, that song is like one of those life moments in a song, like... <laughs> Like Robert Kardashian meeting Kendall Jenner, where you're Literally. an adult and you're just like, I know this is one of those moments in life. That's that song. <laughs> where it's just so intense and so emotional. Yes, 100%. Oh, the lyrics of that song. That you like can't feel a moment like that till you're an adult. No, never. Oof, <sighs> it hits every time. <laughs> Canalic blasted it before my birthday party the other morning. Oh just God. super slow. Just staring And I was at like, you. Mm, yes, keep it, it going. Keep it going. Time. So, yeah. So, Ram 20. <laughs> At checkout. Enjoy. God, if we have any new listeners, I'm so sorry. Just start from the beginning. That's right. That's right. Go back. Um, Well, actually, it's appropriate that we're talking about music. And it's obviously appropriate that we're high because today we are talking about three days of music and peace. Let's talk. Uh. You guys wanted it. You guys wanted it. Yeah, this was one of our top voted for episodes. Uh, 
And I can see why. I can see why too. When before, I don't know, there was like some resistance in me for researching this. And I don't know why, because it seems right up my alley. Why do you think? I don't, I think it was just because I was like, I feel like how interesting could it be? And how wrong was I? Because it is so interesting. Mm, sometimes I think that too with our episodes of like, I'm reluctant to do something where I'm like, well, nothing happened. There wasn't one right. big climax of an right. event. But like, that's not always history, is it? And, well, there it is. There it is. And also, I just don't think I realized how much Woodstock meant to people. Wow. It, wow. It, oh my God, I'm so excited. I am too. I am too. So Woodstock, here we go. Uh, um, yeah, let's just get into yeah, it, I guess. Get into okay, it. Tell perfect. Me. Well, so my citations to start it off is mm. the 2019 or 2019 documentary, Woodstock Three Days That Defined a Generation, History.com article. Shout out to history.com. We love always. you. Um, and there was a New York Times article with Santana that I will discuss. So. Mm. Um, but the documentary is amazing, guys. Check it out. It's on HBO. Um, Amazon. Oh, nice. They well, I think you might have to rent it, but like, you know. It's worth it. You know, I love renting and buying <laughs> movies. movies. That's on right. Amazon and iTunes. That's right. Um, so yeah, it's great. There's also one from 1970, but I watched the 2019 one. So we're updated. We're modern. That's right. We're cute. That's right. Okay, so in in August 1969, the Woodstock Music and Art Fair took place on a dairy farm in Bethel, New York. 50,000 people were expected to attend, but around 400,000 came to uh, came to a 600-acre farm to hear 32 acts play over the course of four days, which was August 15th to August 18th. Um, uh. Jefferson Airplane, Jimi Hendrix, The Grateful Dead, The Who, Janis Joplin, and Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young were among the lineup. Woodstock is known as one of the greatest happenings of all time and perhaps the most pivotal m- moment in music history. It's a long hairy rapid. Here wow. we are. Yeah. Damn. I didn't know there was only 600 acres. Isn't that really small for like half a million people? It's crazy when you see the amount of people in one place. Oh God. They were not ready. They were not ready, but man, crazy. They had to be. <laughs> yeah. One more little quote. Joni Mitchell, our queen, mm. said Woodstock was a spark of beauty where half a million kids saw that they were part of a greater organism. According to Michael Lang, one of the four young men who formed Woodstock Ventures to produce the festival, that's what means the most to me. The connection to one another felt by all of us who worked on that festival, all those who came to it and the millions who couldn't be there but were touched by it. <laughs> Joni. 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 Yeah, I'm excited to do this episode because I just feel like it's lighter. And God, I need that right now. We all do. We all do. Thank God. So let's just lean into the journey of Woodstock. Yep. So the Woodstock Music Festival was the brainchild of four men, all ages 27 or younger. Really? Who put this on. I feel like it's like Studio 54. They were like also 27, 28. I just can't imagine. I imagine these like older hippie men that were the ones that did it. It's just such a big feet for such young people, but damn, hey, kids could do it. Mm. Um, John Roberts, Joel Rosenman, Artie Cornfield or Cornfeld and Michael Lang were the men who started it. So John Roberts grew up in a pretty wealthy family in New York City. His mother died when he was young. So when he was 21, he inherited a quarter of a million dollars. Nice. Yeah. Um, he then starts working on Wall Street, so he does pretty well. This guy, Joel Rosenman, meets John right out of law school, and he's playing music in the clubs, but neither one of them are kind of on a career path. They're, like, wanting something greater with their life. Um, Joel uh, meets him. Okay, yes. Sorry. <laughs> I got reading. Okay. So their first venture, they decide to work together. 
um, was a studio, a recording studio in Midtown Manhattan called Media Sound, and it's very successful. Um, Also, they decided to use all the money that John inherited to just invest in companies and stuff. Like, that must be nice. Yeah, seriously. Um, And through this uh, sound recording studio, they meet uh, Michael Lang and Artie Cornfield. And Michael had a head shop. Do you know what that is? It's like a smoke shop, I guess. What's it called? A head shop. That sounds familiar. <laughs> I've like, I'm unfamiliar, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But, so I don't look it up. So he had a smoke shop in Miami in the Coconut Grove, which is where all the hippies were. Mm. And, um, but in 1969, Michael moves to Woodstock, New York, which is about a hundred miles from New York city and was introduced to Artie, who was the vice president of Capitol records. So we have two dudes who work together and two dudes who work together. Got it. And they meet because Mm. of the recording studio community community. So Artie and Michael call Joel and John and they say they want to set up a recording studio in Woodstock and what they meet. And so they meet and they're like, look, Woodstock is the center for all the artists and a recording studio would be perfect because at this time, like Bob Dylan was living in Woodstock, Mm. like all these cool musicians that didn't want to live in the city. Um, also, if I'm talking really fast, let me know. You're literally not. Okay, okay, At least okay. I don't hear it that way. Okay. Um, so they look through the contract and in the contract, they notice a proposal idea for an opening day party where musicians who lived in the area, or Tim Harden, John Sebastian, Bob Dylan would perform. And so the guys are like, wait, wait, wait forget the recording studio. Let's do a big concert where all these guys perform and make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So late January, 1969, the four of them shake hands and start brainstorming what Woodstock could be. So outdoor rock festivals were a pretty new concept at the time. They started with Monterey Pop Festival in 1967, which was started by Lou Adler, who was our friend Ike Adler's dad. Crazy. Crazy. It was in the summer of love in Monterey, and it was just this huge success of all this counterculture, these counterculture children and like police officers getting along. And it was like all because of the music. Monterey, California. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, like Otis Redding played and Janis Joplin and the Mamas and the Papas. It was just like amazing. Nora Jones' dad. And that was the first time like multiple musicians came out at once sort yep. of thing. Yep. That's crazy, exactly. isn't it? Mm-hmm. I know, right? Because it's such a normal concept now. Yeah. Um, Coachella could never. But really, <laughs> the Monterey Pop Festival walked so that Woodstock could run. What? It was the first of its kind. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I want to go to Monterey for a concert. I, so I went with Corey. When we first started dating, he invited me to go and it was the 50th um, anniversary. Was it gorgeous? Stunning. I saw Allison Phillip. Phillips from the Mamas and the Papas sing California Dreamin' with the head and the heart. Jesus. I know. Gorgeous. Gorgeous? The gorgeousest? <laughs> yeah. What's the gorgeousest? So that was like the new concept, but Michael Lang, one of the guys, actually had experience with um, these outdoor concerts after Monterey Pop because he helped produce a festival in Miami that was essentially like our fire festival. Like it was a huge disaster. There's always there's always a couple. <laughs> exactly. So he had experience, but like not well. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, but they were like, let's let's go. We're in. So they look at land in Woodstock, but the town was like. Too many, too many hippies, too much chaos. We don't want you to have a festival here. So then they find this huge plot of land that there's really not much to it. Um, and then and it's in this town called Wallkill, New York, about 40 miles from Woodstock. But they're like, we love the name. We'll keep the name. Change the location. Yeah, yeah. Chic. Yep. So they're in Wallkill, New York. 
the town signs off on the festival as kind of an art fair where kids would look around, look at some art with some light background music. So they think it's going to be super chill and wholesome. An Aquarian expedition is what the four men call it, which I don't actually know what that means. I think it's like, like the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Oh, whatever that means. Wow. From that musical hair. Right. Oh, right. <laughs> like that vibe. So, oh, okay. An Aquarian expedition. Um, and they wanted you to, they wanted to make you feel like you were visiting another world, like a world where you would dream, a world that you would dream about if you were a younger person. So a place you could go and belong if you were a misfit and not feel like you were under the eyes of the authorities. <laughs> That's what they wanted, which wow. I love. Like the counterculture is so funny and I, I love, love it. it. I love it too. We're here for it. Down with the man. So let's set the scene of the world at that time, actually. So like, what were these kids going through? It's the height of counterculture. Young people are rejecting the status quo. quo and of course, the Vietnam War is like raging at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, they showed this draft physical. Don't you know someone who got a draft physical for Vietnam? Who am I thinking of? Someone was just talking about it the other day. I think my dad did. Probably. I mean, with that age. Oh, my, um, I think my uncle did and my grandma like fed him a bunch of like sodium water yes. so that he like wouldn't pass the test. Yes. Okay. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah. With, yeah, like, yeah. Draft physicals, people would do anything to like, so this guy, you could put medical conditions down that you might have. He has bedwetting, communist, compulsive masturba- uh, masturbator, heroin addict, planter's warts. Like he was just making up all this shit to put compulsive down. masturbator. <laughs> And it should be an excuse to get out of anything. anything. (laughs) Sorry to I am. (laughs) Wow. So people are terrified, obviously. They send that guy to a psychiatrist. And I guess the psychiatrist was like, kid, I'll give you one year to straighten yourself out. So basically that kid had 12 months before getting drafted. And people are just terrified. If you were a 17-year-old boy, you knew Vietnam was your fate. Oh God, you know, that's something I've never thought about of like that you're drafted multiple times. It's not like Ugh. once you can be like, oh, I have this condition, like then you're good. Like they're going to come for you they're later come too. For you. It's such a scary time. If you guys haven't checked out the Watergate episode, we talked about Vietnam and all that happening. It's just, it's terrifying. The draft is so scary. So scary. I feel like we talk about the draft once every two weeks. That's why we should do an episode on the I draft. I think we have to. Because it's like, it is a fascinating subject. And it's fascinating. And then when you get into like equal rights, Women can be drafted. It's like when you get into all that yeah, stuff, it's, it's so interesting. Yeah, it's complicated. Which I mean, hey. Guys, DM us and let <laughs> us know if you want us to do the draft. Yeah, let us know. Be really nice and light. Yeah. <laughs> we won't be high for that one. Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm like already regretting it. No, it's fine. It's fine. Okay. So, <laughs> so the youth was fighting the war. And on top of all of that, MLK was assassinated and then right after Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. So the peacemakers, all the peacemakers are going and it's a scary time. So the youth is like, enough. The youth is like, we just need to dance. Yeah, we just need to dance and like feel something. Mm -hmm. And it's just crazy how I think we always think this is the scariest time that anyone's ever gone through. And I think every generation has kind of felt that way. That's so true. And it's hard to compare traumas. Oh, yeah, 100%. But it's so true. And it's just it's just sad and scary. So, um, but where they found solace and connection was music. You know, there's no social media at this time. So there's no mm-hmm. connection and voice in that way. And of course, all the adults hated the music and were like, these are damn hippies and 
all of that. So also around this time in the counterculture movement, drugs are playing a really big part in it because you have the mind expansion drugs with weed and with um, LSD. And so people are really exploring that. And also the pill is making its way downtown, walking fast, faces past. And I'm homebound. And I'm homebound. And so people are exploring like free ecstasy? love. No, the birth control pill. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, what pill are we talking about? Which one? What a combination of beautiful things. So mind expansion and free love is like starting to take off around this time in the country. What a time to be alive. What a time. And the youth are pissing off their parents and they love it. And that's nothing new. Mm. And by the night and by 1969, the youth felt like they were finally winning some culture war against the establishment. Damn. Yeah. Must've been a good feeling. Must've been a good feeling. Like progress. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What's that like? (laughs) Oh, it's a lot to keep from crying. So, okay. So once they get the permits they need, they assemble their core team to produce the festival. They hire this Jew, Mel, Mel Lawrence for the director of operations. And he had a plan for all the functions of the festival besides the actual music. So he had a plan, fences, food, transportation, fire security, water, plumbing. Oh, the porta potties. I just was thinking about how many, they probably did not have enough, did they? Well, that was the, like one of the main concerns and they didn't know how much to, how much to get. So they would go to huge events like Madison Square Garden and baseball games. And he would go with a timer and he would time people going in how much time it took for them to come out and multiply that by the size of the crowd. What a dark job. <laughs> also, like, can you imagine coming out of the bathroom and seeing like, a man with like a stopwatch? <laughs> Like, oh, no. I can't imagine it, sadly. So scary? <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah, what a job of oh. all things. Um, so they come, up, they come up with this outrageous number of toilets, and they're like, there's no way we'll ever be able to get that many. So they just ordered as many porta-potties as they possibly <laughs> like could. Everyone in the country. Yeah. Come here. Transport them. Um, John Morris was in charge of booking, and Credence Clearwater was the first band that they booked for Woodstock and then Jefferson Airplane, which I'm not very familiar with a lot of their work, but um, Mm. yeah, and then Joe Cocker after that. So they're getting their bands. They didn't get the Stones. They tried to get the Rolling Stones, Bob Dylan or the Doors, but they got a lot of other acts they wanted, including Jimi Hendrix, Grateful Dead, or did I say, yeah, and who? Oh my God. <laughs> okay. So, and as well as a new band at the time, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Wow. I wonder if all the other ones regret that they didn't do it. I know. That's what I was thinking too. I'm like, does Bob Dylan wishes he would have done Woodstock? He'd probably never admit it. He, no, he definitely would never admit it. You know, that's the truth. Mm-hmm. God, it's quite, wow. That's like a universal thing that we know. <laughs> Say no more. We don't even have to. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Everyone knows too. Um, So they spread the word through alternative press. So like the cool alt newspapers and the Rolling Stone and like all that stuff. Mm. Um, And yep. And Woodstock was on everybody's minds and lists. Woodstock, an Aquarian expedition in Wallkill, New York, three days of piece of music. That was like the advertisement. (sighs) You could do... Ready? Is this conversion? Yeah, it is. It is. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> and now, what was it? A um, clerculator. Clerculator. <laughs> and now, the clerculator. Thank you, Tess. So you could do one day for $6 or three days for $8. And, or sorry, 18 <laughs> I was like, is this $1,800? <laughs> but still, you do one day for $6 or th- all three for $18. So two days money. 
one day pass would be $41. And for a three day pass, it'd be $141. Why is that so cheap? Because I just spit all over my mic. Because festivals aren't oh, a thing so yet. They didn't know. No, like the, it wasn't. And I don't wow. know. It's just all different. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I don't, there wasn't like a celebrity culture yet. It was just like yeah. the music. That's so wild. Now wild. it's like $500 for three days. At the least. At the like, least for like general crazy. admission. Crazy. Yeah, truly. Coachella is like, it's insane. Wow. That's wild. Wild. So $141 for three days of like Sign me some up. of the biggest acts. Yeah. I'll be there. Evan will be there. <laughs> Evan. Oh, this goes out to our friend, Evan Vaughn, who is the festival icon. King legend. He's been to every single one in the world. (laughs) And he does it right. So early June, they start to build the wall kill site. They bring in electricity. They start building the stage and they hired a couple hundred kids to help out. Tess, do you know what I put in my notes and asterisks? I want to build. Remember the other day we were talking about wanting to be construction workers. You put this before? Before. I was um, rereading my notes yesterday and I was like, but I'm um, telling you, like, I look at construction workers and I'm like, I would love to try it. Same, just for a day. Just, just like day. be up on the roof, watching the sunset, hearing the crows. You always have. <laughs> or are they called? Not crows. Like, crows are out there. Yeah. <laughs> sure. The crows. Hearing the crows. Having like music on. You're like building something with your hands. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's what these kids. Claire and I share this passion. <laughs> we didn't even know until Sunday. We want to be construction workers. Yes. And we realized it on Sunday when Tess said, have you guys ever like wanted to do construction? <laughs> And I felt we lost it. heard and seen. <sighs> and I do as well now. Same. Um, so the kids who were building the stage were a lot like the ones who attended. Long hair, listening to rock and roll music. And all the town, all of a sudden the town is like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, like these kids are <laughs> These kids crazy. are hippies and we don't want hippies in our town. So the Concerned Citizens Committee passed an ordinance that they can't have a festival over 5,000 people. So there's no way that Woodstock is going to have less than 5,000. Like they always knew they were going to do at least like what Monterey Pop was, which which was 28,000. Yeah. So it's like a trap for them to be like, you got to get out. Oh. Um, They've already sold so many tickets and booked like all all the bands. So they're like, what do we do? Because we don't have a location anymore. This is the point where I would have a mental breakdown and be like, it's all over. It's making me anxious even thinking about (laughs) it. Oh, and it turns out to be like the best moment in history. So we've just got to always push on. That's true. Good lesson there. Yeah, good lesson. Um, So they're about five weeks out and they're just driving all over upstate New York looking for fields to be able to have this on. They get in a helicopter and they're looking around. Then they meet Max, I believe you say his last name is Yasker. Um, who there's this Woodstock movie and Eugene Levy plays him. Perfect casting. Oh my God. Perfect. So this is exactly how that man looks. So he's a dairy farmer in Bethel, New York. Um, they see his land. It was perfection and they make a deal with him right on the spot. And it's kind of crazy. He was like a conservative dairy farmer and was like, sure, you can have like your music festival here. <laughs> he's like, why not? Yeah, why not? I wonder how much they paid him. I forgot how much they said they did. Probably not much. I mean, mm, I don't know. They are desperate. And they they were using that one guy's inheritance to Mm. like fund all of this too, which is crazy. Yeah. Wow. Um, So four weeks before the festival, they have to fill out their permits so they don't run into the same problem. For the attendees, they estimate Monterey Pops numbers as a baseline, which was again, 28,000 and multiplied it by two because they were like, in our wildest dreams, maybe we'll get double the amount of 
Monterey Pop Festival people. It's like 60,000 in our wildest dreams. Wow. Um, so they have to start all over. Oh, the permit gets a, uh, approved and they're ready to go. They have to start all over on the stage and build it. And it has to be this huge stage that they have to build in like three weeks now. Now I don't want to build. <laughs> no, I don't want to do it under pressure. I just want it purely <laughs> for pleasure. Um, and the tickets were starting to look more like 100,000 people. So, okay, they also have to figure out 100,000 people on drugs. Like things could get really dicey oh. and th things apparently had been getting dicey at different festivals across the country. Like there was one in Denver where they had to use all this tear gas on people. Oh God. Yep. So they were like, you guys need to get a ton of security for safety. But the guys producing the event were like cops, all the cops in the world are not going to prevent violence at this thing. Like if there's going to be. Um, so, which is bold to say, but I mean, whatever. So they also knew there was going to be drugs and people who are not going to be able to handle the drugs. So they have both of those problems. And one guy suggested, one guy named Stu Goldstein suggested that they call this commune community called the hog farm, sorry, the hog farm. And that the hog farm is where Diane Lake from Charles Manson, the youngest member, oh, grew yeah. up in that commune, same commune, which <laughs> doesn't put a good taste in my mouth, but these people actually seemed hilarious. Why did they want to bring him? They wanted to bring them because they said that they would know how to peacefully deal with people because they had traveled across the country <laughs> playing shows. So they knew what large crowds were like and they were familiar with the music industry and they were just like dead set on not wanting to hire cops. So they were like, let's hire these commies They're like, people. Give, they'll give you a hug if you need <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, like actually. That's... Which is so interesting. Unnerving. Yeah. So the hog, they call the hog farm people. Oh, and they'll have experience dealing with people with drugs. So they'll well, like cover shaman. all the bases. Well, I guess that is really fine. A girl who can do both. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they call the hog farm people. The hog farm people are like, we'll help you out, but we're going to be in New Mexico at that time. So they fly the 85 members of the hog farm commune on an astro jet on the American Airlines Astrojet. And the hog farm people said that the flight attendants locked themselves in the small room the whole time. Because <laughs> they were like too much. Oh so they fly on an Astrojet. There should be a movie about that. I know. Like just that, just that whole flight from New Mexico to New York. And as soon as they get off the flight, the press is there because they heard that this commune is going to be security for this music festival. The leader of the commune's name was Wavy Gravy. <laughs> this man has no front teeth. <laughs> and the press is like, um, so why are you here? And Wavy Gravy goes, we're here to be groovy and spread our grooviness. And the press guy is like, I thought you were supposed to be security. And <laughs> the Wavy Gravy replies, I don't even know what security means. Dot, dot, dot. You're the first person to call me that. And then he goes, I feel secure. Do you feel secure, man? <laughs> That is an iconic quote. I'll put, I'll put I'll put the video on our Instagram. Please do. It is hilarious. And apparently one of the guys who was starting the festival's dad called him and was like, have you guys lost your mind? <laughs> this is going to be your security. He's like, look at this man. Look at him. He's like smiling. Yes, <laughs> it's amazing. So yeah, Wavy Gravy and the hog farm made their way to be security at they're just Let's trying talk. to be groovy. That's right. I'm feeling groovy, man. New Instagram bio for Ram. <laughs> yeah. We're just trying to spread grooviness. Just for the week, we're just trying to spread grooviness. That's so cute. We're the groovy girls. Oh, that's too funny. So August 8th, 1969, they're about a week out from the festival and all of a sudden people just start showing up. 
Um, small groups of people start camping and nothing was ready. If you saw the state of everything, you knew that it wasn't going to be ready on time. They were roughly on schedule to begin in November at that point. And it's a week out from the festival in August. Oh God. So all the legitimate food people, vendors dropped out when the wall kill town backed out. So they had no food members except for three guys that had this place <laughs> called Food Love and only one of them had experience in the food industry. <laughs> so it's just really shaping up to be a shit show. But they were like, we'll set up stands. We'll make it happen. How did people that started camping eat? Like, could you make they, your own food? Yeah, you could go to the grocery store. That's also the thing is Walcow was a town of like, or sorry, Bethel was a town of like a thousand people. And all of a sudden these kids from across the country just start piling into your small town. Oh God. Okay. Well, at least they could eat. I was starting to feel like, um, a little Donner party, like (laughs) I was starting to get a little scared of food anxiety. (laughs) Food anxiety is so real. I'm like, uh, hungry. When you picture it, it, it's so real. So, um, like two days before, uh, the first day, the construction foreman was like, we don't have enough time, resources or men to finish um, this job. So you have to pick one. It's either we finish the gates or we finish the stage. And if they didn't finish the gates, that means they're basically going to go bankrupt on this event because everyone is just going to pile in whether they bought a ticket or not. But if you don't finish the stage, you don't have a festival. What would you choose? Well, they picked the stage, which I would agree, because if you don't have the music, what do you have? Exactly. So the stage it was. Wow. What they did it all pick? for the music. The uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, build the gates. <laughs> Keep them out. For nothing. <laughs> for nothing. Um, so they, they built it. It looks so sketchy. Like it looks just like it could blow in the wind. Oh my God. And they're working 24 seven on just building this, like in the middle of the night. Um, And then people start to pour in. One guy said he quit his job when he heard about it and was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to Woodstock. Good for him. I'm like, doesn't time just seem so much, and maybe I'm just looking at the past with rose colored lenses, but just so much simpler. I think it was in some ways. I think it was too. I really do. I I think we have too much now, too much access. Too much of everything. Of everything. I totally agree. Um, So traffic went on for miles in Bethel and it was just crawling. Um, One attendee said she's never seen or she never in her life has felt such anticipation. Cars were just piled and traffic was stopped for hours. So people would just get out, get out of their cars and hang out with other people and make new friends. They started announcing on the radio. There's no way you can get into the town. So you shouldn't even show up anymore. Like people, but that grew the anticipation and people wanted to go more. Exactly. Crazy. Mm. Can you imagine trying to coordinate all of this without cell phones? How do you meet up with anyone? How do you know where they are? How do you know where to go? I guess look at a map before you go. No, but they don't even know what the festival looks like inside. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They give you an address. How do you find an address from a map? I don't know. I just, I guess you just have to look out. (laughs) Just look out. Like just wait to see a crowd. I'm sure our parents are just like, oh my God. They're like, you disgusted me in this episode. (laughs) We're like, how do you know? I can't believe MapQuest was like what we had at one point. I can't either. Wow. Never forget. Thank you, MapQuest. Yeah, thank you again for your service. Truly. It's our second shout out on this program for MapQuest. <laughs> oh, man. So it just, it would be so hard. So the first day you walk over the hill and it was like just kind of this bowl of land that was just filled with people. 
from all across the country. Um, and attendees said it was just this feeling of complete warmth, warmth. She said, oh my God, there's this many people in the world that think like I think. I never knew there was even so many people in the world. Because again, I think we just forget of, without social media that these have our counterculture youth that are finally like meeting. Yeah. And even to like see a visual of what that's like for oh. someone that has never like felt that before must no. have been so wild. Like, Everywhere you look at someone that thinks like you do. Right. And just with social media, our idea of the world is so much bigger because we can see it. Yeah. And talk to a stranger on the other side of it being like, I got you, but not for them. Wow. So this was like the first moment in so many people's lives that they're like, I'm not alone. That's crazy. Crazy. Um... Yeah, these kids were seeing other kids who dressed like them, looked like them. They said it was it felt like finding your brothers and sisters. Oh, I know. But the producers of the event were like, we're kind of in deep shit. <laughs> People just started trampling the fences because they weren't even put up all the way. So they're like, we're just going to walk in anyway. Anyways, and there was tons of people without tickets there. While people who had bought tickets are like stuck in their car and who have driven for miles. Like people just heard about it and we're like, we're going. Schwow. Schwow. Um, so one of the founders idea to get some money back was to dress beautiful women in ethereal dresses with collection baskets. And the other guys were like, no. <laughs> like, make them naked. Yeah. Just, do something. just do something. Make them look like angels. Yeah. <laughs> and then they'll give us their money. Um, so yeah, everyone was like, all right, no. Yeah. <laughs> Any other idea? Thank you for sharing, but we'll move on. Um, so as a business venture, they said it was a complete disaster, but they said there was this, just this kind of calm that went over all four of them. And they just knew that the gates weren't important anymore and that it, they were there for the music. Wow. I know. Um, one of the head guys gets on the mic and says, <clears throat> This is a free concert from now on. That doesn't mean that anything goes. What this means is that we're going to put the music up here for free. What it means is that we're, um, is that the people who are backing this thing, who put the money up for it, are going to take a bit of a bath, a big bath. That's not hype. That's true. They're going to get hurt. But what it means is that these people have it in their heads that your welfare is a hell of a lot more important and the music and the music is than a dollar. I'm going to cry. I know. So I'm just saying this weekend seems like, wow, it was actually magic. Wow. A magic moment in time. We haven't even started. That is like true leadership right there. True leadership to be like, we're going to suffer, but we're doing this for you anyways. And this was like, and we know what the goal is and we'll always keep that in mind. And after he said that, the crowd just roared and it was like the capitalist enterprise was liberated. And I think that set the tone for the whole weekend. Man. Jesus. Yeah. Fuck the man. Fuck the man. Stick it to the man. I have stick it to the maniosis. <laughs> oh, well, something else Ugh. that the traffic messed with was the bands because they couldn't get there. So they needed helicopters to get there because there's so much traffic everywhere. Mm. But they don't just have helicopters waiting around. No. So Richie Havens, this um, artist, who's the first artist that I sent you where he's playing the guitar. Yeah. Um, shows up and he wasn't supposed to play till way later, but he just showed up and they were like, Richie, we need you. And he was like, <laughs> like huh? He's like eating chips. <laughs> huh? Always eating chips. Um, he's like, I'm not scheduled to go on till later. And he literally said to them, don't do this to me. <laughs> don't do this to me. Um, he was so scared going first because he was afraid that people were going to be angry that the festival is already running late. And then he was going to be the first one that they saw. 
Um, his bass player wasn't even there and they were like, we have no one else. So Richie Havens opens up Woodstock and that is show business. Showbiz. The show must go on. And it was beautiful. And his performance is legendary because he was on stage for over two hours because he would just like kind of stop and they'd be like, still going, (laughs) and they'd be like, we still don't have anyone. You have to keep playing. So his, um, set is about two hours. And that song that I sent to you, Freedom, he made up on the spot. Because he was just vibing with the crowd. Wow. And it's like one of his most famous songs now. And he literally just playing. That's so crazy. Crazy. And sorry, now I'm getting passionate. (laughs) (laughs) I am too. Um, All these people hearing that song felt that so deeply too. Because again, it's like you haven't been. Mm, It's the first time we all experienced it together. Right, exactly. And it's like the counterculture youth, they've just felt so tied down. (sighs) Yeah. So it was just amazing. Amazing. Um, the food stands open up and people just start to run up the hill to oh them. God, I don't think I can listen to this part. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I'd be so scared. I wouldn't, I wouldn't get one. Got a hot dog or something. Same. I would just be like so angry and like. So angry. That's when people start shoving and pushing, but it wasn't really the case. Okay. But there was too many people and too many arms reaching out. So they just started handing people burgers and like not even taking money. So they were losing money and that way again, <laughs> but people began to shower the food handlers with joints. They said that um, instead of throwing money, they would just start throwing joints at them for the burgers. And one of the workers said he held them in both pockets on both ears was smoking two at a time. Quote, I got really high. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just amazing. Oh my God, that'd be such a good Halloween costume. To be a burger guy at Woodstock. Yes. <laughs> it's like so niche. It's like, what the fuck? They give you listen to right answers. Yeah. Like, oh, wow. Yeah. So just like joints were the form of payment for food that weekend. I love it. Me too. Okay. So the first day of the festival, there was a lot of people there, maybe 300,000, but that was the folk day. Um, oh, wait, real quick. Okay. So finally, the helicopter rotation begins and they're finally starting to get musicians in. So Richie Havens <laughs> doesn't have to just sing the whole time. They end up spending tens of thousands of dollars contracting helicopters. Um, Sweetwater goes on, followed by um, the other acoustic acts, Joan, um, Joan Baez. I think Baez, right? Sorry, Emma, you're going to get mad at me, but I think it's Baez. Oh. Baez? I, I don't know. She's um, a beautiful singer. Was... Um, being one of the sets. And she said during her set, the night was illuminated by lighters and joints and it was like gorgeous fireflies. And she closed out the night. Oh, I can just see it. Beautiful. Mm. Stunning. Mm. Fireflies are all dancing to that. Like, woo. <laughs> <laughs> we never been so hot in our lives. <laughs> we cannot smoke before episodes. Oh man. <clears throat> okay. So Saturday, August 17th, the first day of the festival, there was a lot of people there, maybe about 300,000, but that was the folk day. The second day was the rock and roll day. So that made people really show up. Um, They wanted to see the who, the Grateful Dead. So the the crowd grew by 100,000 people. Were people not like suffocating? No, there. I guess there it was a lot of space with the dairy farm. I okay. mean, so no one's getting like trampled to death. I don't think so. Also, 
I think what helped was weed. Mm. <laughs> You're not really trampling people yeah, unless that's, maybe for food, but no one got trampled that's for true. food. That's true. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. God. They're just like taking it's it different easy. different these days. Yeah, it's different true. Kids these days. <laughs> so if you just started walking around, you would see all sorts of stuff. They said it was kind of like walking the boardwalk. There was like crafts and all these different things that people have brought in and lots of naked bodies. Oh. Mm-hmm. And this is the first nudity that a lot of people had kind of seen from the opposite sex, if you think about it. Yeah. They, they were, a lot of them were kids, you know, like teenagers. Damn. So um, they, okay. And people were just super open with their bodies. Um, a woman, the attendee said, the good thing about skinny dipping is we all went in. Fat, skinny, it didn't matter. Nobody looked and nobody cared. It was just plain fun. And also the hog farm had a part of land that people saw a commune life and they'd never seen anything like that before. And they even built a small stage and played music themselves. And um, remember, they're also security, but they didn't call themselves the police force. They <laughs> called themselves the please force. They are <laughs> my new heroes. I like, I love them so much. They were like, apparently so kind and polite to everybody. Was like making sure everyone's okay at all points. And How many was, were there? 48. Or I think maybe it was 84. It's somewhere around here that I said with the Astro Jet. Um, um, but it may be 85. Okay. But crazy. But still only 85 people for, for 400,000. And there was never like any stories that I'm aware of, of like violence at all. Wow. People just truly wanted to be there. For respect. And they said also, they were like, we don't need police to handle violence, we need to set the tone for the weekend and let people know what this is about. Wow. And like, you're not welcome if it's anything yes, but that. Exactly. Damn. Exactly. Damn. So I wish it could just be that easy. I know. But, um, okay. So they're so kind and polite. Everyone loves the police force. Cute. <laughs> Country Joe McDonald plays Saturday afternoon and he has that famous song. It's like one, two, three, what are we fighting for? Oh, mm -hmm. He... So I have my mom's Woodstock records. I feel like we just flew into this and ask each other what we knew about Woodstock. <laughs> With Woodstock, you just have to get right into it. You just it. have to go. So um, I have my mom's old Woodstock vinyls. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. But he opens this set by <laughs> making the whole crowd uh, spell out fuck with him. He's like, give me an F. It's amazing. And everyone loves it. Wow. Give me an F. <laughs> give me a U. <laughs> give me a C. And also people feel this set because of that song. Mm. And um, it's all, a lot of these kids are draft age and they're finally singing musician being like, fuck the war and I'm here for you and uh, I see you. So powerful. So, so powerful. powerful. So powerful. Um, Santana goes on and uh, goes on stage and Santana's performance is legendary. I sent you one of that as well. Um the passion. The passion. And people had literally never heard music like this before. Santana's performance is also legendary because he was so high on mescaline. There's an account that he's that he thought his guitar had turned into a snake at one point. Oh my God. <laughs> and I just want to read you a little bit about his experience playing Please do. Woodstock, which you guys have to look up this performance. It's amazing. The people are like playing drums on the stage. They're like, it's wild. It. Um, so uh, when so he said, when we landed, 
Santana, this is from Santana from a New York Times article. When we landed, the first person I saw was my brother and friend, Jerry Garcia, lead singer of The Mm. Grateful Dead. Mm. He looked like one of those yogis in a cave in the Himalayas. <laughs> he had that um, beatific, everything is all right already look. For me, he was like assurance, confidence, and a sanctuary. They told us we were going on two bands after the Grateful Dead. He goes, well, man, you better get comfortable because apparently we're not going on until one o'clock in the morning. It's a mess here. And by the way, would you like to take some of this? Um, it was mescaline. <laughs> And I was like, let's see, it's 1230 in the afternoon, by two o'clock in the morning, I'll be all right. I used to take LSD and mescaline a lot. So I knew the timing. After eight or 10 hours, you're into what we call the amoeba state. Your thoughts become very galactic and universal and microscoped. Two hours after I took it, there was a face in my face that said, you need to go on right now. Otherwise, you're not going to play. By this time, I was really, really on it. You know, I just held on to my faith and what my mom taught me. I asked her, I asked over and over, just help me stay in tune and on time. When asked if he was hallucinating, Santana goes, oh, totally. You can tell by my body language. I'm wrestling with a guitar, not wrestling in conflict, but like a surfer wrestling to maintain and sustain a balance. That's the key to everything in life. Whether you're straight or on mescaline, maintain your composure and your balance. (laughs) I've never heard something as crazy. crazy. (laughs) And that's Santana's performance at Woodstock. And people are just watching him. And it's it's an incredible performance. Wow. Now, speaking of all these drug tests. Yeah. You know what else they had? Freak out tents at Woodstock. Freak out tents, wavy gravy in the hog farm, set up tents for people that they would go soothe when they were having bad trips. With someone in there, like a shaman? Yes. Literally, they had assigned people where people could go lie down and the hog farm people would hold their hands and guide them through their trip and tell them everything was going to be okay. They would be like, you took a little acid. It's okay. It's going to wear off soon. They should have those still at concerts. No kidding. No kidding. With like a doctor in there. (laughs) Yeah, probably a doctor, not wavy gravy. (laughs) But also like the hog farm was really sweet to these people. I wonder how many people do you think went into one? Um... I think later they said, oh, probably a lot of people went in there because I know there was like about 800 and something drug related things. Oh, really? Yeah. And we'll talk about that later. But uh, yeah, so they had freak out tents where they and when you would be coming out of your bad trip, they'd be like, all right, now that you're on the other side, you need to stay and help this person go through it because you are going to know best how to calm them down. Crazy. And so this community. Community. (laughs) There it is. Freak out tents. Um, Yeah, they really should have them, but. Okay, yeah, here it is, actually. Um, so they also knew that medical stuff was happening, and they were way understaffed for medical attention. They ran out of medical supplies by the second early a- second day early afternoon. And this is 400,000 people just, like, exposed to the elements. So oh, it's hot? August in oh, New York. Oh, God. Oh, so God. it is hot. Oh. Hot. Um and it's like a lot of people, you know, are taking drugs. They're in the heat. Yeah. They don't have like proper food stands. Uh, One no, of their no. biggest problems, <laughs> just freaking out. I know I'm like the idea of Woodstock sounds amazing. And then you really get down to it and you're like, not for I me. I couldn't make it. No, I couldn't do it. <laughs> Could never make it. Um, so 
and just like they were needing insulin for diabetics, even like at the most simplest thing. Jesus. When the festival was finally over, the New York State Department of Health Records um, recorded 5,162 medical cases over nearly four days, 800 of which were drug related. Damn. So they're understaffed. So this makes the governor of New York, Rockefeller, be like, again, oh, no, oh, no. This is not okay. What's happening here? So they get a call from the governor <laughs> saying that we're going to send in the National Guard and shut this thing down. And the guys who were running it were like, that is a terrible idea to send into these kids. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. So finally, they come around and they actually send military military helicopters with 45 doctors without pay for all weekend. The government did. Leadership. Leadership. That's what I'm saying. It's like, they're like, well, can't do anything about it. Yeah. Well, that I just feel like this was a magic moment where it was like, there was connection mm-hmm. actually at this weekend. Between like two opposing sides. 100%. 100%. Wow. It's really, oh, wow. Wow. It's a moment of time. Yeah. Um, so in between performances, they had to use the soundstage for communications because again, we have no cell phones and a sea of 400,000 people. Um, People would bring messages backstage and would hand them to a guy. And in between performances, they would make announcements. One guy said to a man, please come to stage right. I understand that your wife is having a baby. Congratulations. (laughs) Okay, so I've seen different (laughs) differing accounts, but apparently I've seen on a few websites that is recorded that three babies were born at Woodstock. What? (laughs) What, like... Nine month pregnant woman has the can't imagine has the desire. Can you imagine being like someone suggesting that you go anywhere when you're like nine months pregnant <laughs> and to Woodstock? To Woodstock of all places. Doesn't even seem safe, really. No, not safe at all. But so they would also have concerned parents calling um, and he would go on stage and would be like, test Palomo, call your mother at home. Because after Friday, no one had contact with the outside world if you were at Woodstock. Damn. Which I, we don't even, we can't even imagine what that's really like. Can't imagine our phone dies for an hour and we're like, how are we going to make it back home? Corey suggested that we leave our phones in the car for lunch the other day. And I was like, well, I need to text a few people and let them know that I'm not going to be available. It's crazy. It's so crazy. So yeah, so that's what, and on the vinyl, they actually have all of the announcements like still on that. Really? So you can hear all of it, which is really cool. Oh, that's so cool. Yep. Yep. Um, and also parents were so concerned because the New York Times and the New York Daily News were reporting this festival as a natural disaster. So all the parents were like, oh my God, and my child is there. Wow. Crazy. I'm like, are they still alive? Yeah. You just don't know. Jesus. Crazy. So late Saturday afternoon, all the food is gone and delivery trucks couldn't get past the traffic. <laughs> I'm sorry to realize it's this okay. might be your most stressful okay. episode. It is. And there was also a sanitation and medical issue, but if the food went, the producers knew we're all done at that point. Yeah. Um, but the sweet babies of Bethel, not actual physical babies, but all the adults that were sweet babies, um, heard that the kids didn't have any food. So they all went into their pantries and fridges and freezers and, um, and contributed. They took it to the school and then it was airlifted in a helicopter. And there was a local farmer that hard boiled tens of thousands of eggs. And in my notes, I wrote this this community. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Also like how much food can you have in your pantry? Not enough. For like half a million people. It's crazy. And yeah, 1000 people even giving up all their food would still not be enough. Like literally. But they tried. I know. It's amazing. 
A local resident said, maybe we were hicks, but we did, we, but we did do as the Bible says. Welcome the stranger. They were hungry. We fed them. Wow. Wow. So like sweet. That's tender. It is tender. <laughs> um, the hog farm was also cooking and serving free food and people would offer to serve and attend. Uh, so people would stand up and offer to serve themselves who are like attendees of the festival. And people would just pass around what they had to strangers. Uh. Um, by Saturday night, people were grooving. So we're in the flow of things now. Mm-hmm. Credence Clearwater Revival played Janis Joplin, The Grateful Dead, Sly and the Family Stone. Um, something that also sticks out for me with Woodstock is that there's only one stage. Oh, yeah. I kept you know? imagining like people going back and forth. No, like all the acts were on one stage, Damn. which is different at like festivals that we see now. Yeah. So you can pack more people in. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so yeah, everyone's together. They, and they didn't even have a time schedule. People were playing in the middle of the night. They said that the Who was still playing at dawn. So like 5 a.m. Jesus. Because it was just unorganized and they would just be like, now go. Wow. And truly, yeah, at 5 a.m. people were still just like jamming. So wild. So wild. So on Sunday, August 17th at 6.30 a.m., Jefferson Airplane goes on and they said they don't even remember their performance because it was so early or late for them, I guess. And people were just falling asleep in the crowd. They were like, we can't do this anymore. (laughs) We can't hold out. Hold on. That would suck to have that time slot. Um, the sleeping situation looks so uncomfortable. I can't even imagine. They're like sleeping on cars, just on the ground. (sighs) I couldn't, there are some of you who will be listening to this and can do that. I cannot, I cannot, I can't imagine just camping. I can't either. I need a, I need a bed. I know. I just need a little mattress. Yeah. Something. If I had a mattress and a blanket under the stars, I'd be fine. Yes. That's gorgeous. Gorgeous. There's also no need to start a set at 630. Let these people sleep for a few hours. (laughs) We can't. We just keep going. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't they let them sleep? But they also only have so much time. Um, and Wavy Gravy that morning also gets on the mic and says, good morning. What we're going to do is breakfast in bed for 400000 It's not steak and eggs or anything, but it's going to be good food and we're going to get it to you. We're all feeding each other. We must be in heaven, man. Wow. <laughs> and the crowd again just goes wild. Just wild. It's so funny to hear him. He just sounds elated. I think people just thought they were in heaven. It must have felt like it. The whole time you must have felt like you were just, it wasn't reality. Yeah. Anything about it must have just felt so weird, but amazing at the same time. Because it was like, they never, that had never been their reality before. Like a true summer camp. No. At its purest form. Um... Okay, so, and also in the early afternoon, Max Yasger, the dairy farmer, gets on stage to talk to the crowd. And he was basically like, you guys have proven to to the world that 500, or that, not 500 million, that half a million kids can get together and have three days of fun and music. And I, God bless you for it. And the crowd goes wild again. And he like lifts his hands up like a rock star. <laughs> Everyone's feeling it. Everyone is feeling it. And it's just like <sighs> truly both sides coming together and like the youth was seen and heard for like the first time. Damn. Yeah. Um, and okay. So Joe Cocker gets on stage and starts performing with a little help from my friends. Again, people are feeling it, but then storm clouds, huge storm clouds start rolling. In. Oh God. 
And uh, no. <laughs> yeah, there was 50,000 volt cables that had come unearthed and like rain just starts pouring down. People are in like these huge stands and they were saying on the intercom, they're like, get down from there. It's so dangerous. A huge thunderstorm ensues and people are just trying to cover up all the equipment. Uh, you have 400,000 people literally sweat. just exposed to the elements and people just started playing in the mud. They were like, might as well. They literally, they chanted for a while, no more rain, which it's not always going to do it. <laughs> yeah, didn't, it did not help. And once they realized that wasn't going to stop, they just like, they started doing um, like slip and slides on the mud. Like they just loved it. I mean, it's kind of like when we got caught in the storm in Austin on the boat. Oh yeah. And you just have to, and it was hailing or whatever. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like, you know what? When you're a little fucked up, you then just got to like accept it and like engage with the elements. That's right. Engage with the elements. Wow. So true. (laughs) (laughs) But after the rain, the crowd really kind of thinned out and people had it. Some people had to go to work the next day. I know I would have been like, that's it. A Sunday at a music festival is always tough. It's it's such It's magical in its own way, but tough. But you're like, this is all coming to an end now. Yeah. Um, but the perform or but the festival went on, um, and they had great performances that night. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young played their second song or their second set ever. At Woodstock. I can't imagine that being your second time to perform live in front of people. Mm. And uh, Joni with uh, Joni Mitchell was dating Graham Nash at the time, was supposed to perform, couldn't perform because her manager, David Geffen, booked her for a talk show on Monday. And he was like, you got to stay here. But everyone else made it back on time for that talk show, which makes me really mad at David Geffen. Yeah, that's gross. It is kind of gross, right? Let her fucking go. Let her live. But Graham Nash told her every detail, like vividly and how magic was. And she wrote the most famous song about Woodstock, Mm -hmm. which it is a beautiful song. If you guys haven't heard it, check it out. Um, And around sunrise the next morning, the air is filled with the sound of Jimi Hendrix's guitar. Mm-hmm. 6.30 in the morning. (laughs) Just like, Waking up to the Star Spangled Banner. That's crazy. He does his famous um, Star Spangled Banner performance. And some interpretations say, because there's a time where he really goes crazy with it, that it's like the sounds of Vietnam in the middle that he intended for that to be the sounds and then coming back in with Star Spangled Banner. Jesus. So much for 6.30 in the morning. That's a lot to process <laughs> before you're really awake. <laughs> it's a lot to process. Um, Hendrix was paid. Are you ready? Yes. Oh. <laughs> Chris, put in the coffee, put in the calculator. Hendrix was paid 18000 for appearing at Woodstock, which is the equivalent of about $125,000 today. He was the highest paid artist to play at Woodstock. Wow. Jimi Hendrix was. Um, also, shout out to um, Ian, who is one of our trivia night attendees, who is very passionate about Woodstock and mm. gave me some Hen- Jimi Hendrix um, Woodstock stats. Gorgeous. We love so, it. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for your service. Um, Hendrix later revealed on the Dick Cavett show that he had only gotten eight minutes of sleep the night before and he, uh, the night before he hit the stage and his exhaustion fueled a nervous breakdown later. Oh, <laughs> it's for the, for the music, music. man. <laughs> this episode is oh, it's for the music, Also, how man. do you know if you sleep eight minutes? <laughs> you know, like might as well just feel like he's I didn't like, get any me. sleep last night. The guy who was timing the bathrooms, well, he was like, time yeah. sleeping. He's like, he's awake. He's awake. <laughs> But his um, performance was also legendary. That's gorgeous. Gorgeous. And then suddenly it was all over. Um, 
the site afterwards, they said, looked like a civil war, civil war pictures of a battlefield. Um, one of the producers of the event was worried they were going to find someone dead. So he walked around checking and luckily they didn't find anyone dead. But they said it stank. I bet it did. Like bad. I'm sure people were just pooping and peeing all oh in the field. Oh my God. <laughs> it stinks so bad. Um, so no one died. So I found people died. Only three people died though. Out of 400,000. That's not, not bad odds. Yeah, not bad for the elements. Yeah. Um, two people died of drug overdoses and one person died from being in a sleeping bag and he got ran over by a tractor because someone, sorry, it's so funny because someone didn't see him. Oh my God. So not great deaths, but only three. Wow. <laughs> so. That's insane. Yeah. So um, either way, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So then they start to clean up and um, there's tons of soggy sleeping bags, tents, cardboard boxes, blankets, and trash. Um, there were quite a few people there to help clean up because they said they just didn't want to leave. They said that they had this amazing three days, but they knew the world wasn't changing with them and it would be a huge culture shock to go back into the real world. Yeah. Post-vacation blues. Post-vacation blues. So real. Can you imagine? After all the drugs too. Oh, the calm down must have been so dark. And you're like, now back to the man. <laughs> back to the man to be a cog in the machine. Like, yep. Can you imagine being from a small town and like going to this festival and then having to go back to the small town with the small ideas? No, I Horrible. can't. Um, and a festival goer said it was a mark and cosmic time. Um. As told by the four men who put on the event, they spent nearly $3.1 million, $15 million in today's money, <laughs> on Woodstock and took in just $1.8 million. Robert's wealthy family agreed to temporarily cover the enormous costs, provided they were repaid. But it wasn't until the early 1980s that um, they were finally able to pay off their last debt. Thanks to album sales and movie ticket sales. Wow. From the documentary on Thank it. Thank you for your services. Yeah, no kidding. So, I mean, yeah, th that's Woodstock. I have no idea I, I what just happened. every second of it. I'm like, I feel like I was there. Was that trash? No, it was truly so, so fun. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. There was, I do have, <sighs> if we have just a moment, a few little sh short stories from people who were there. Yes. Okay. Um, this is from, this is all from Reddit, but it was from an article. I didn't actually go on Reddit because I don't have the mind capacity. I don't either. I wish I did. Um, so these are stories from Redditors. Uh, I was there personally along with my friend, Mike. It was shortly after my 20th birthday. We saw the small ad in the Chicago Sea, the local underground newspaper. We had tickets, but I have no idea where they went. I know, epic fail. Actually, no idea sums up a lot of my experience there because we were doing drugs at Tom, um, at Thompsonian level. Fortunately, we didn't get any of the, the bad brown acid because we showed up with our own 80 tabs of orange sunshine. Ah, uh, now that is great acid. <laughs> <laughs> Gorgeous. There's actually, I found a few stories of people being like, I went and I honestly couldn't tell you anything about it because I was on so many drugs. I bet. <laughs> Just like, what do you really say? <laughs> so crazy. Um, uh, let's see. 
Uh, which one? Okay. And then last one, my wife and her sister went, my wife was still pre-senior of high school, 16 at the time. And they got separated from the people she went with and spent most of the time fairly miserable in the rain and knee deep in mud, but remembers hearing Joan Baez, who she adored. Um, also heard Swami, uh, I do not know how to say this last name, Sachitan. Sanada do the opening invocation and do a meditation session saw people bathing naked in the creek and doing naked yoga on a hilltop saw an acid freak out take his clothes off and climb one of the lightning towers <laughs> oh my god so just what a what a time oh, it's like part of me is like I wish I could have gone I know maybe if I had a different personality <laughs> I could have really enjoyed it. Literally same. If I had a different personality, I would have loved it. Yeah. Like, but you know, I mean, people camp at Coachella. It's like, obviously we have different, we have more things now, showers and phones and heating, like all the stuff, but like, it's kind of the same thing. That's I, I came to Bonnaroo, but I still had a shower. Like they didn't even have showers and I had a bathroom. Like I definitely had porta potties, but again, like some people love this shit. Some people really do. And it's like adrenaline rush. Right. I, I, mean, love, I think it's beautiful. I think it's a beautiful like story. I agree. I love the idea of it. Me too. And I love that like everyone came together. All the people that felt like misfits, but also yeah. like, the government then helped out. Yes. And like, it just shows like when we all do come together, good things happen. Good things can happen. Causing ca- like chaos. Yeah. And harm to other people. Yeah. And going in with the mindset that we're going to be peaceful with each yes. other. Wow. Damn. What a time. I can just see it. I can imagine it. I can like feel feel the energy. And I love the summer heat. Oh God, I know. Mm. Until it rains, I'm not happy. (laughs) Not happy But even like in that, it's just like they all made the best of it. They did. No one got electrocuted. No. And check out our Instagram at Right Answers Mostly. I'll post Mm. pictures and videos of the whole shebang. Yes. We should like that week send play a bunch of like Spotify links. I would love that. The sets. Yes. Love that. Mm. We'll do it. Oh, gorgeous. Thanks for sticking with us in this episode. I'm scared. I know you're going to be spiraling. I am. I can tell, but I don't, I truly don't know why. It was so, so fun. I just like feel like I didn't even give you a chance to talk. Oh, we won't do this in front of the children again. (laughs) Like, mommy and daddy need to go talk outside. (laughs) We're okay. We're just going to talk about something. I was Um, mesmerized. I was mesmerized. That's the only way I can put it. Great. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed too, because I loved my research. Oh, I loved it. I really, really did. Oh, well, thanks, Rammies. We love love you guys. See you next week, as always. As always, XOXO. Red answers mostly.